Guess what, guys? This is episode 50 of the Serious Sellers podcast. So we've got a special guest today, and he's got a great story. He went from being injured and unable to work to fully replacing his income within three months, and now he runs a seven-figure brand that utilizes a simple yet powerful technique that almost no one in the private label space takes advantage of, and he's going to share it with us today. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast. My name is Bradley Sutton, and I'm joined today by Paul Miller. Paul, how's it going? Hey, Bradley. Great to be here. Going great. All right. It's great to have you on here. For those who don't know, you know, Paul and I go, you know, a couple of years back, at least virtually, uh, we were in the Zon Squad group together, a little mastermind group. Um, and then we actually met, I believe, in person for the first time last year at SellerCon, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And then now we were just talking about how sad that we're not going to be able to see each other this month on SellerCon. But, you know, actually, you know, because of you, now I'm good friends with, look, Andy, Laron. I mean, all that was pretty much because of Mr. Paul Miller. So I have you to thank for a lot of things. Uh, I love connecting great people, Bradley, and, and you're one of the best. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And speaking of one of the best, you've got one of the best stories. I mean, it's not something that is like all, what's the word, like uh, rainbows and unicorns, you know, you had some struggles and, but what's really inspiring about it is how you pulled through. And, and we're definitely gonna be talking about one of your specialties, which is licensing, which I think I would say 99% of sellers might not even ever consider We'll talk about some of your successes there, but but first, let's just talk about your just Amazon journey in general, because it's not like you've been selling on Amazon for 20 years. You've just started in a few years. So what were some of the steps in your life that led you to this whole Amazon? Well, um, speaking of SellerCon, I'm going to uh, kind of take this back to when we finally sure, sure. met in person at SellerCon. The reason I was there is because uh, I was invited to be on stage and kind of share my story, which started with uh, the course run by Amazing.com, which was um, <laughs> what they called that awesome. No, what was the name of that course, Bradley? Do you remember the uh, ASM? Amazing, yeah, ASM, Amazing Selling yep. Machine. Sorry, slipped my mind. There's so many courses out there now. So in 2015, I was running three of my own franchise restaurants. And uh, honestly, it wasn't going well. I had built two stores in 2008, and that was, you know, the beginning of the recession. And I was really struggling with uh, getting those two stores to be profitable, uh, which were taken away from my one profitable store. And uh, for several years, I was struggling. And I knew uh, in 2015, I was basically down to my last restaurant uh, and trying to figure out. a plan B if I couldn't rescue it. And what kind of, what time, kind of restaurants were, were I, you know, I've heard you tell this story before, but I never asked. Uh, they were franchise pizza restaurants. That's about all I should say. <laughs> nice pizza. Hey, yeah. I like pizza. <laughs> uh, bu- pizza buffet restaurants. If you think real hard, you'll figure it out. Yeah, I think I got it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, these were, f- you know, full, full service, basically full service restaurants, four or 5,000 square feet each. They take a lot of, 
you know, each one would have 20 or 30 employees. So, you know, I had about 75 employees, uh, nine managers, one district managers. It was a pretty big organization at the time. I had to work when we work really hard for our money. Um, so, you know, as, as I mentioned, it kind of yeah, sales declined and stuff. We got rid of the restaurants one by one. We had this one restaurant left over, uh, which I was going to go in and be the general manager of basically fire all the management staff. I was going to be the GM and try to rescue this store. Uh, well, I wasn't quite sure that I'd be able to pull it off. So I thought I would have to have a plan B and my plan B uh, was basically to, to see about this selling on Amazon. So I started taking in, in my, uh, at nighttime, I started taking the course, uh, ASM mm-hmm. course. And, uh, I was pretty excited about it. Uh, didn't, didn't really have a product yet or anything. And then in May of 2015, uh, took a break from, from the restaurant, which was, uh, by the way, about 120 miles from my home. So I was actually living away from home in somebody's carport apartment, uh, trying to rescue this restaurant. Uh, but I had taken a break, come home from my daughter's 16th birthday. Uh, we went out to dinner, uh, her favorite sushi restaurant. And after that, I went, um, took my son to Cub Scouts where we went to go play kickball. And the uh, the coach, or not the coach, but the uh, den leader asked me if I would, uh, you know, be the pitcher for kickball. So I did that. I pitched a couple of balls and I think it was a fourth kid up. This ten-year-old uh, kicks a line drive right towards me, and you know you got to catch the ball to get the kid out. So I kind of did a, a diving catch, ha- held onto the ball with two hands, hit the ground. I kind of rolled over onto one knee, and I knew something was wrong at that moment. And uh, what happened was I had just just completely crushed my collarbone. And, uh, oh. I just sat down one knee going, Oh man, this is, this, this is really not good. Um, I, all I can think about is I'm not going to be able to work. Uh, that's it. I'm going to be finished in the restaurant business. Well, the, uh, den leader's wife took me to the emergency room, uh, you know, and I uh, got diagnosed and everything. It was a really bad fracture. It would take surgery and it would take a long recovery period. And, um, all I did during my recovery really was uh, study Amazon. Uh, I had basically called up the franchisor for my restaurant. I said, look, I'm done. You guys, let me get through the summer. I'll hire some temporary management and you guys take, take the keys because uh, I can't do it anymore. Uh, so I had about three months to learn how to make money on Amazon. That was May of 2015. And by August of 2015, I had replaced my income. Wow. So June, July, uh, what, three months we're talking about? Yeah, believe it or not. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. So uh, uh, I was able to replace my income and I was full time. Yeah, right in about three to four months. Are you selling your first product still? Oh, yeah. I'm still selling my first products. Wow. Um, so so like it, was, uh, it wasn't like, you know, a lot of people might, you know, swing and miss on their first try, but, but you knocked it out of the park uh, on your first products that you chose. Well, um, it, uh, the funny thing was, it wasn't actually my first product, uh, that I had in mind. I kind of, uh, started with 
this product uh, that was easily available, but my big idea was a um, a, a restaurant a food service type product that I was familiar with and I wanted to develop. As I went along, I found out that that uh, cost to make that device was uh, just prohibitive to me. I was pretty much broke. Uh, we need the plastic molds and everything else that would, would have cost too much money. So that was a my product that ended up being successful was really a plan B product. Uh, okay. Um, so that turned into my plan A, you know, uh, we continue to make uh, different variations, um, different styles and marketing it to different audience. And it really grew to be a fantastic product. Wow. That's great. So what, like what, what year again was the, the actual launch? Are we talking, uh, was it 2017? No, uh, no, that was 2015. 2015. I was mm-hmm. two years, uh, two years in the future there. So 2015, you're, you're still recovering and you're just studying all you can, you know, about Amazon, which, you know, is something I think a lot of people should, you know, definitely take heed, not necessarily that, Hey, everybody needs to pay for courses. I've paid for courses. I think they're great, but there are people studying doesn't mean necessarily paying for courses. Guys, there's so much content, probably not in 2015, but nowadays there's, you know, so much content out there. That's even free that, that for people who might not have the budget for a course, they should absolutely do. But, but what, what do you think, what made you successful, you know, right off the bat there? What, what were some of the things that you know, help. Was it, was it your product choosing your, you know, the way you made your listings, the way you launched it, your, your PPC strategy or what, or all of the above, what was it for you? Well, I'm going to say all the above, and then I'll highlight a couple of things. You know, a, a lot of it really was a community. And as you know, um, probably later in that year of 2015, I joined Zon squad, but I was also before that I was a member of something called the tribe. And so um, having, you know, kind of access to that group of successful people was, you know, really, really important to me. Um, So uh, I did get lucky, I think, with my first product, the product that I picked. And, you know, I think everybody knows my brand anyway. So uh, I'll mention it. Cozy Phones. I've been on many podcasts and mentioned it was a sleeping headphone. So we had... uh, taken that product, which is something that I actually used a lot to listen to podcasts and things at night. And we just, we made it a better product. We made different styles, different colors, and um, really was in a much better listing than, than was out there at the time. Uh, and then of course I studied PPC. I di- actually didn't do any of the launch giveaways at that time. So we kind of uh, really grew uh, uh, organically. Uh, with better listings um, and some better pricing at the time and um, better variations than anybody else had. That's great. So I didn't even realize that that was your first product. And I think even I would, I would venture to say that everybody I have, everybody I've interviewed here, when I ask you, are you still selling your first product? And, and they say no. So, so, you know, they're all very successful now, but just, I think very few have been able to, you know, to stick with it on that product. And, and, and that's, that, that's a great testament too, because even, you know, I was just talking to uh, Tim Jordan the other day and he was like, yeah, that's a, that's a newish product, but you know, he stopped selling like after six months. And, and for a lot of people, that's fine. You know, like they find something that that's hot, they sell it for a while, but then, you know, everybody else kind of jumps on and then, you know, 
your price goes down. It's just not very profitable to, to keep selling it. Which brings me in, in a completely unintentional segue here. One of the reasons I think why you have been able to you know stay on top of the game, as it were, all this time is because after a while you started getting into licensing. So can, can you talk about that transition or first of all, how you even you know had the idea about licensing and then kind of how you incorporated it into your your headphone line? Sure. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. So. As I mentioned, we had adult sleeping headphones, which is basically a stretchy headband with the soft, thin speakers embedded in the headband. Okay. And what I had done, I think it was probably fall of 2015. I had a photo shoot, my photographer and putting these on uh, some adults and getting, getting, you know, good listing pictures done. When my photographer put the headphones on her daughter, 10 year old daughter, with um, her tablet in her hands and she took some pictures and that was kind of my aha moment I was like wow I wonder I wonder if this would be good for kids and so what I did is I asked my daughter who's an artist to um, create several uh, designs I think we did a puppy a bunny and a frog and I took the frog drawing that she did a simple illustration sent it to my manufacturer I said hey can you make this and uh, she made me some samples and I placed a small order and I put those kids version, kids frog headband headphones on my adult version listing as a variation. And when the adults saw that, even though they were shopping for adult sleep headphones, they said, wow, that could be a good, uh, you know, a good product for my child. And we started getting great feedback right away. So this is a category that really never existed before. And uh, I'll put in a side note here. It is patent pending. (laughs) So um, we hope that our patent will be issued um, uh, soon within the next three three to six months. That's the character headband headphones. And so we got this great feedback from our audience who solved lots of problems for folks, um, kids that don't like earbuds or over the ear headphones. And they're soft, comfortable. They stay on. You can take a nap with them on. All this great feedback. So we decided to expand that line. And we were just really going gangbusters. And I was very excited about it. So I started calling around uh, friends of mine to say, hey, how you know, we've got something really interesting here. Hot product. How can we grow and protect and protect it? Because, you know, we know as you do, that Amazon sellers are ruthless. And if they can think about a way to copy you or knock you off and get ahead of you, um, they will. So one person that I called gave me the advice, said, hey, you should look into licensing. And what he meant by that is we could go to uh, companies like Nickelodeon or Disney, Hasbro, and we can license the right to put those characters on our headphones. So I started small. Uh, I went out to the licensing expo in Las Vegas, where I met a woman who was a children's book author. And she had a character called the What If Monster. And it, it, the character fit perfectly onto our headphones. So that was our first license. We licensed that and we still have it. Um, as one of our our primary characters. So we had the What If Monster. That was a successful license. Um, Basically, a license is when you 
uh, have a contract with somebody else to use their intellectual property. In this case, it was a design of her, her monster. And we could put those onto our headphones and then we give, pay her back with a royalty of the sales. So that was our first um, license. It worked out great. And it led to another, our first major license, which was with Nickelodeon. And uh, fortunately, through a licensing consultant, I connected with uh, some folks from Nickelodeon. I visited with them in New York. They liked the product. They were very forward thinking for a small brand like mine. And uh, we got our first major license with a set of characters called Paw Patrol, which is honestly one of the biggest kids um, series out there. So it's in the top top five licenses worldwide. So we were very fortunate uh, to get that license. And, and then we added those characters to our line. And that's the beginning of our licensing. So like explain, you know, typical licensing deals, like, you know, how, how does a you know, a brand or, or entity or, you know, TV show, celebrity, whatever, like, how do they choose, you know, who to grant a license? You know, is it exclusive? What are the different types of arrangements? Like I, I've heard a, hey, sometimes it's, you know, every sale will pay you a percentage or you, some others are flat fee. Can, can you go a little bit more into detail on, on how this works? Because I, I would say most of our listeners probably have, have never thought about this. Sure. You know, it, it's been a big learning curve for me and it's not simple and it's not for the beginner and, and it's not cheap to do either. So, but let, let's um, cast it in the light of some licenses that you're probably already really, really, really familiar with. You know, one of the ones that we talk about sometimes, I've been asked to talk about licensing from time to time, is the George Foreman Grill. Uh, Rick Cesari is the marketer behind the George Foreman Grill. And that was basically a kitchen appliance uh, with a license to use the name George Foreman on it and to use George as, you know, the personality. Okay, uh, The way that a license typically works is that you've got a product that you want to pair with the property, the property being, in that case, George Foreman or Paw Patrol, Mickey Mouse, Marvel, you know, whatever it might be. And it doesn't have to be just in kids' entertainments. If you think about, um, uh, you know, cooking products, for example, you know, a lot of them have celebrity chefs on them. Those are also a license. If you start thinking about licensing and you walk through the big box stores, you're going to see licensing all over the place. But the way uh, the licensee and licensor relationship works uh, if I'm the owner of the product, I'm the licensee. The owner of the property uh, is considered the licensor. They are going to grant me a license to use that character or that property on my product for a specific line of products over a period of time. That would be the, the life of the agreement. Let's just say it's three years. And the compensation that I'm going to give that to them is usually in the form of a royalty. And usually they call it a minimum guaranteed royalty. So it could be a three-year contract with a minimum guaranteed royalty of yeah, X amount over that three years. And that's a royalty that I owe them 
whether or not I sell anything at all. It's like a contract that I have to pay them the minimum based on my sales of that product. So that's probably one of the bigger, the bigger risks then in this thing is like, you're kind of like committing to pay this and, and you're hoping that you can sell. But if you don't sell as much as you think, you still owe that money, right? Exactly. You still owe it. <laughs> and a lot of times you owe it, you know, uh, it could be broken down even by the quarter, you know, like, hey, your minimum guarantee is uh, $30,000 for a three-year contract. So you owe us $10,000 a year or even broken down into the quarter where you have to pay quarterly. So yeah, that's definitely uh, you know a risk and an investment that you've got to be willing to 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 take. And then on top of that, usually to sign the contract, they want you to give them an advance on the minimum guarantee. So on that thirty thousand dollar contract, you might have to give thirty percent in advance. That's kind of their way of saying that you've got skin in the game. You're not just going to sit on that license and not do anything. Okay. Now, you know, we might have just, you know, scared a lot of you know people away like, oh my goodness, these numbers, I can never do that. But on the flip side, let's talk about your 2018 sales. Thanks to licensing. And I think you only had one major line uh, of products, right. if I'm not mistaken. But what were your sales last year? Well, uh, in 2018, just keep in mind that we're on amazon.com, cozyphones.com, walmart.com, Amazon Europe and Amazon Canada. I was on yeah, also a little bit, I think, on eBay and Etsy. So across all channels, uh, we were just under six million. Okay. That, okay. Now, now, now I think we brought everybody back to feeling uh, a little bit better. You know, <laughs> but let me go about back this, to but, uh, one yeah, thing that ahead. you said, though, um, because I also like to tell people that you don't have to start big with a Nickelodeon or something. The, the What If Monster license that I did, that was zero down payment. Right. Uh, really no MG. We had a very simple licensing agreement. Yet this lady, Michelle, who has that uh, that prod or has that character, she's got, you know, a fan base of 50,000 people that she was out there promoting her character on our headbands, too. So you don't have to start really big. You could you know, you could even have a licensing deal with an influencer, for example. So you can work your way up to it. It is kind of scary when you think about doing one with, you know, uh, somebody like a like a, a big player like a, a Disney or a Nickelodeon. Um, but there's plenty of ways to get started smaller. Okay, good to know. Now let's talk a little bit more, a little bit more into detail, maybe on some of the things you know hiccups that you've uh, had along the way with licensing, or or that you think people should be aware of. Like, hey, don't you know, don't uh, forget about the small print or don't make sure this clause is there. But what are some of the things that, you know, maybe you've learned along the way, hopefully not trial by error, all, all of them, but, you know, just maybe, you know, learning from other people, but that will help our listeners if they're trying to get into this. What are some of the common mistakes that people need to be aware of? Well, first of all, you really do need to understand the contract, right? And the minimum guarantee and what that means. Uh, as you said, that's a liability. That's a risk that you take up front. So number one is understand the contract and the costs involved. Um, and you need to understand that this is not your regular product development process. When you're doing product development on licensing, that licensor is your partner. 
And so, you know, if you sign, uh, say, a two-year license with somebody and it takes you six months to get product to market, you just wasted, you know, uh, what, 25% of your contract time. So you might want to say, for example, that, okay, we're going to build in uh six months or three months or whatever of product development time before this, you know, the clock starts ticking on the, on the royalty agreement. So understanding product development with a licensor is really big. It takes approvals uh, process. It takes probably longer and more money than you're used to doing in terms of making private level products on your own. Okay. What else? Um, Manufacturing uh, is is a big one, too, because uh, you may be required to have a factory audit. And if your uh, your factory cannot pass the audit, if you go and sign a contract um, and the contract says you've got to pass the audit and your supplier can't pass it, then you've got to go find a new supplier. Wow. I would imagine, uh, you know, we can as private label sellers sometimes, you know, We'll make a nice listing, but when it's actually the package, you know, we put it like in a, in a little mailer or a, you know, Ziploc bag or, or something that's not very professional because, you know, we're not so concerned about branding. Of course, you always should be concerned about branding, but we can still get away with it. But when it comes to licensing, we've got to be really on point with our packaging, right? I would yeah, imagine. Yeah, that's, that's another great point, um, Bradley. They, usually you're going to have to get your packaging approved as well. And, you know, you're representing their brand. And let's face it, the consumer doesn't know you're even in the mix most of the time. When they see a product that says, you know, Disney on it, they think that Disney's manufacturing that product. They don't know it's just a license. So the licensor is going to be really careful to make sure that you're representing their brand correctly. Um, another aspect of things that you have to be careful about is marketing. You know, many times you're going to be required to get approvals on any kind of marketing that you're doing for that product. Cause again, you're representing that brand and they want to make sure that the marketing is on message for them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. What are your, your plans, you know, for the future? Like, you know, obviously you, you've totally crushed it with this, with this one license or, or, or not one license, but with the relationship you've got with Nickelodeon, but are you trying to exclusively focus only on licensing kind of deals as you expand, you know, maybe your, your offerings or are you, are you still planning to do just the, you know, the traditional private label route or, or what, what are your plans for 2019? We continue to uh, we continue to expand on both both routes. So we mm -hmm. do what we call our you know cozy phones originals, which honestly are 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 still our top sellers. So, you know we continue to develop our own different characters as well as licensing. So it's it's a mix. Um, obviously, licensing gets you a big boost because you appeal to this huge audience of, of fans of whatever that, that character or product is. And it also helps you to protect um, uh, your product because, for example, um, you know, if you have a product with a license on, I'm trying to think of a good example now, coffee cup is a little bit too generic, but if you're the only one with a coffee cup with some character on it, let's say a Mickey Mouse, mm -hmm. Um, 
the licensor is not likely to give the same license to multiple manufacturers of the same product. So you kind of have a ah. little monopoly on that license. So if I have Paw Patrol cozy phones, then nobody else is going to have that character or my product type. Now, that's not really an exclusive. They, they, they don't like giving exclusives. But in general, um, they're not going to you know, give that same license out and, and kind of dilute it across many products. So it gives you a lot of protection that way. And then also, if you're worried about you know, counterfeits or something, you've got a lot of horsepower behind you uh, with the Nickelodeon, for example. Um, who can support you in defending your IP rights on that character? Because people are less likely to try to knock off a licensed character than they are, say, an original Cozy Phones. Yeah, yeah. Now that 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 just I just thought of something else right now. I'm not sure if you have experience uh, in this, but I'm sure you know about it. Is this or is this? I'm, I'm pretty sure this is a part of licensing. But are there cases where? You know, like, let's say it's, uh, you know, let's say it's Game of Thrones and we're talking about Game of Thrones lunchboxes. Mm -hmm. But instead of, you know, you paying them you know, all, you know, the royalties and this and that, the arrangement is where you actually manufacture it. But then HBO wants to sell those lunchboxes that you manufactured on their website. Like, how does that how does that work? Well, um. Yes, there's, there's, hmm, I'm not sure if that's, that could be part of the license. For example, they would say, if it's HBO who owns the rights, which they do, that would be part of the license that says, it, we're going to give you the license to sell in, in these type of channels, right? Because that's part of, part of the license is where you can sell it. And mm -hmm. by the way, we want to, you know, the right to purchase or provide these for sale on our website at, you know, whatever the wholesale rate is. So that can be part ah, okay. of it. Uh, another interesting, that reminds me of another interesting arrangement that you can do. You know, let's say that you're working with a retailer like a Target uh, or something like that. You can say, you, you can go to have a license lined up, say like, like a Disney license or something. You say, look, I want to offer you guys an exclusive on this product with that license for a period of time. Say we're saying, saying we're talking to Target or whoever. And then you go to the license store and you say, hey, look, I've got Target on board to offer this product if you give me the license. So it turns into a three-way deal where the retailer is benefiting from having an exclusive product and the licensor is benefiting by having distribution in the retailer and you as the manufacturer, you're kind of benefiting on both sides. Okay. That sounds like a good deal too. So, I mean, really it's uh, licensing is shot, you know, the whole thing that encompasses it is not just one specific thing. There's a lot of different options and a lot of different things that, that one can do. So quick question. Do you remember the AMPM podcast? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, like I know, I know, you know, Manny, you've talked to Manny sure. before and he thinks, he thinks, you know, what you do is pretty awesome. So, but he wouldn't say it's pretty awesome. What does he say? You How cool is that? His catchphrase. Ah, you got it. All right. I've been testing people lately on that and not everybody gets it. All right. There we go. So you remember it. Okay. I I, I'm trying to, to get that trendy again. I cozy phones on almost every night. 
<laughs> but 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 not the Paw Patrol. Well, no, one, right? but actually, what I really like now is the No BS podcast. Oh, there we go. All right. Well, the no BS that has BS, which is Bradley Sutton. Right, right exactly. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, speaking of Manny and, and, and this podcast, I know you're, you've been a user of Helium 10 for a while. What are, what are some of your favorite uses for, for Helium 10 that, that even, you know, a, a, a seller of your level, you know, four, four, mil, four, six, seven, eight million dollars, who knows what the future holds for you? What kind of use does a, a six or seven figure seller like yourself get from Helium well, 10? Well, um, I love the profits tools. You know, I'm in there every single day looking at the profit, profit tools. Um, but just this morning, you know, I had a buy box alert uh, from some hijacker who took the buy box from me. So I love the alerts. Uh, the alerts are great and, and the uh, automatic uh, email reports are just fabulous. But uh, I'm most of the time in, uh, in the profit tools, but then when I'm tweaking my listings, I, I go over to all the other tools. And you and I have talked about this. In fact, I uh, recall you doing a podcast. I might have been with Leron um, where you're talking about product display ads. Ah, and yeah. The, uh, that, that was actually from yeah, you. And, and, you. You gave me an idea for it. <laughs> and the ace and grabber. And, you know, we had that conversation a while back where you can go in there and grab the ASINs of all your competitors and use those to create uh, product product display ads. I mean, there's just no faster way to do that. So that's just amazing. Yep. Yep. I still give you credit for that because <laughs> I remember you asking me, Hey, you know, you had no idea that, you know, it was Asinger. I remember like, Hey Bradley, can, can Helium 10 do this? And I was like, Whoa, that is an excellent idea. And, and I know a lot of people have gotten benefit from that. Well, well, Paul, I appreciate all the, the time you've given us today. And this has been a very unique episode. Uh, I don't think very many people in this space and definitely we haven't had anybody on the podcast before talk about licensing, but uh, I hope it opened the eyes for a lot of people out there about some of the cool possibilities. Like you could even take a, you know, they say, Hey, you know, supplements are saturated, you know, phone cases are saturated, but guess what? Phone cases sponsor, you know, or phone cases that are from Marshmallow the DJ are not saturated because there's probably nobody who has that license. So you do that. And now all of a sudden you take a saturated market and you've kind of like got one of the most unique products out there that has demand. So I think people can appreciate the, the, the possibility. So if they would like more information that can just be gotten from a 30 minute podcast, how can they reach out to you or, or, or find more information about licensing that, that you can help them with? I would recommend that anybody go to licensing.org, which is uh, the run by Lima, which is a licensing industry manufacturers association that will tell you where the events are. And every year there's a big event in Las Vegas. It's just happened in June. Um, That was my first introduction to licensing. So I say, if you can get out there and go to that uh, conference, it'll be totally overwhelming. But, you know, there's a lot of people that are helpful out there. So I highly recommend going to the licensing conference if you can. Um, I also put together uh, a a free three video course that people can go to if they want to. It's at nextlevellicensing.com. So you can check that out. It kind of gives you the uh, introduction. A lot of the piece goes a little deeper than we were able to do. And talking about the basic structure of licensing. Um, so you can do that. And then um, 
if you go on Facebook and look for my group at Next Level Licensing, we have a Facebook group there too. Cool. Well, Paul, it was great to talk to you again and hope to see you in person at a conference soon and be interested to to see your your progress with your brand and and see what you have in store for the rest of this year. 